Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, we're talking about the album We Shall Overcome, The Seeger Sessions. Hey, you're listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. It's the only podcast where we talk about every Bruce Springsteen song in alphabetical order, except now we're talking albums in chronological order, uh, the way normal people do it. So. Not confusing at all. Uh, I'm J.B. Clark, but you probably already know that at this point. This is Rob Carmack. Imagine this being somebody's first episode. Imagine skipping over right. Born to Run, Darkness on the Edge of Town, Nebraska, uh, the River, and j- the Rising, and getting being like, oh, okay, now we're talking. We shall overcome the secret sessions. I'm in. Show well, like, if we'd have done this podcast, if we'd have been releasing this episode, you know, like, eight years ago or something like that, or not even, yeah, uh, Bella Pori would have found it doing her research before she was, like, a dyed-in-the-wool Springsteen fan. I guess that's so, true. Somebody out you know, there's writing somebody a out term there might. Yeah, good point. Good point. Somebody out there's writing a term paper on, uh, on, Pete, on Pete, Seeger. Uh, Pete Seeger, so, or, you know, early American folk covers, modern rock covers of early American folk songs. If, if that's what you're doing and you, you've come to this podcast for resources, I, uh, I'm, well, I'm afraid you're going to be sorely disappointed. Welcome do not to cite us in your paper. Useless uh, due diligence you're ever going to do. We Feel free are, to cite either of us in your paper. Uh, we are reputable. We are we in are. the archives at Monmouth College. This is True. an accredited podcast. <laughs> We're about six rungs below a Wikipedia entry. Oh, come on now. We vet those. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. Let's see how we do. <laughs> Let's. I mean, the, the the proof will be in the pudding, sir. Oh yes, pudding. That's about what this is. All right. So as you mentioned, JB, we're talking the album "We Shall Overcome: Colon This The Secret Session." So this album, little basic facts. We got a long way to go, so we we should probably a just long like, way to go. So let's get up on these sources and ride. Yeah. So if if you're looking for chit chat, if you're looking for our normal playful banter. We're gonna. I, I dare Look you to elsewhere. listen to this on double speed because we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to really hustle. So also speaking uh, of horseback, just imagine you're on a horse for the rest of this oh ride. Gosh, that's where we're going. <laughs> that's the pace we're at. Okay, so now I, we can skip over a lot of other stuff if you just imagine you're on a horse <laughs> on a silver palomino. That is I, what I'm talking about. I was expecting you to be like, okay, so listen, this album is like a mountain lion, nope. while other albums are like panda bears or something nope. like whatever it was that you did last week. <laughs> Not doing it. Did uh, never mind. Not gonna go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. So moving along, <clears throat> we shall overcome. Colon the Seeger sessions. The album was released uh, on April the twenty fifth, two thousand and six, which was exactly one year after the Devils and Dust released, almost to the day. Uh, the American Land edition. Which okay so okay first of all there are three different editions of this album so already it's confusing so right. there's the initial like edition with Genesis uh, sermons oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah so so there's there's this edition the original April twenty fifth two thousand six edition which had thirteen tracks on it uh, a little later there was a bonus tracks edition which included two new tracks which at like lifted the total to 15 and then later that year on October the 3rd 2006 Bruce released the American Land extended edition which contained 18 songs which means a true died in the wool Bruce Springsteen fan completist had to buy this album three different times in 2006 in order to get all the songs so unless they were but, patient 
I mean, you know, I gotta say, this is one thing about Bruce is like for a man of the people, he is all about making money <laughs> by repackaging things. I mean, I'm I'm for sure. Yeah, he he is he has mastered the art and you're not wrong. He's mastered the art of being a man of the people and also getting, getting his fans to buy multiple copies of the same song. Yeah. Anytime over people over. are like Bruce Springsteen's a socialist. I'm like, yes, except, <laughs> except for that horse ranch that he lives on and all the, all those different copies. Of I, I push my uh, glasses up my nose and I'm like, except <laughs> pull out your abacus. Be like, yeah. can I just tell you how many copies of, um, stolen car I have <laughs> in my computer. <laughs> Too many. So oh, man. anyway, so uh, yeah, so there are three different official releases. And so what we're going to be doing, we're, we are going to tr- do our best to cover the American Land Extended Edition because we're masochists. But we're we're going to go as fast as we possibly can. So if you, if, if we hit a song and we spend like 20 seconds talking about it, if you really want to know more about these songs, there's a couple of places you can go. If you want to hear us talk about it, you can go back in the feed and find those episodes in the episode-by-episode episode season that we did. Or you can go to Wikipedia, where there there's more information on each of these songs. Or you can go read, like, Bella Pori's term paper, which I'm sure she'd be more than happy to, to send you. Um, she will. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, there, there's lots of sources that you can find more information on these songs than probably what we're going to provide here. What we're looking for, specifically the Season 2 theme here, is what we're looking for is... What what is it? What is the connective tissue that makes this album what it is? And like, why these songs? Why the placement? We're, we're trying to explore this not as a collection of songs, but as a, as a full album. We're trying to see the forest, not just the trees. If you want, we're not talking the about the bones today. We're talking about tendons. Yeah, that's a, a, another way of saying that. Yes. So we're not if, talking about synapses. We're talking about the great matter. We're not we're talking, talking about, about the myelin sheaths of the brain. We're not talking about a note. We're talking about a chord. To yeah. keep it in the musical family. So we're not even talking about chords, we're talking about scales. Anyway, so some basic facts before we get going. So this uh We Shall Overcome is a wholly unique part of Bruce's body of work. It it is first of all, it's his only album made up entirely of songs that did not that he did not write, and it's the only time he ever made an album with a group of musicians that has since been dubbed the Sessions Band. So at face value, this album a, is a, a studio a, album. A studio album, correct, correct. That's what, yes, thank you. Uh, so at face value, the, the album is a loving tribute to folk musician uh, legend Pete Seeger, and which is why it's referred to as The Seeger Sessions. And the, the 13 songs that made the final cut of the main version of the 13-song the version of the album were all previously recorded by Seeger. That's the connective tissue in the first 13 songs. So it begins to sort of fall apart as you get into later songs. Uh, the germ of this idea, though, has been had been kicking around since 1997, so like nine years prior to its release. So what happened was Bruce recorded a cover of the song We Shall Overcome for a Pete Seeger tribute album called Where Have All the Flowers Gone? And this re- recording session was when the Sessions Band was first formed. And here's how the Sessions Band first came to be. A month earlier, so uh, in October of 1997, Bruce had hosted a party at his farm in New Jersey and hired a New York-based band called the Gotham Playboys to play the party. So no pressure, guys. Bruce Springsteen wants you to play at his private party at his farm, uh, and he'll be there hosting all of his friends. So be cool and yeah. play. Oh, tight, play- tight, 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 tight. Yeah, I'm not throwing up everywhere right now. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Yeah. Imagine, imagine having, like, I cannot imagine a more stressful 
venue in which to be like commissioned to play music. So anyway, right. so, so sir, would you I, like a glass of wine? Nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. <laughs> I would like a diaper and uh, someone to any... come and fan Pepto. So, anyway. Do you have any pink stuff? Do you have the Pepto? It's I, I cannot. I mean, apparently they handled it really well, though, and they played. I mean, obviously, if you're being invited to play for Bruce Spring, by Bruce Springsteen, like you, you've already he already has a pretty good feeling about you. So um, when Bruce was asked to provide a song for the Seeger tribute, he calls the Gotham Playboys and asks them to come and back him up, which is I mean, obviously, I can imagine a huge honor for them. He also asked Susie Tyrell to help fill out the rest of the lineup with additional musicians that she knew. So Bruce decides he kills on this record. Yeah, she Susie is is a star for sure on on this particular album. This record so, is about Susie as much as it is about Pete Seeger. <laughs> I mean, in a way, I mean she she is for sure like she she's the Clarence Clemens of this of this album. You know, if if that what Clarence Clemens was to Born to Run, Susie Tyrell is to the Seeger sessions. It could be called Susie Tyrell and the Gotham Playboys featuring Bruce Springsteen on vocals. It would have been it would have been super funny if the cover had been Bruce leaning on Susie's shoulder. With her holding her her fiddle, I would have yes. liked that. Uh, so anyway, so when Bruce decides to do the musicians back together in March of 2005, like right before Devils and Dust is released, and so that they begin to spend the next several months recording this. Uh, so we shall. So when the album is released in April of 2006, it's it's mostly praised by by music music critics. Most people really really like it. There were a handful of negative reviews, mostly accusing the album of being corny. Or that it felt too much like a southern drawl, like gimmick, which I think um, that that was fairly rare. Though those negative critiques, it was mostly positive reviews. It, it was mostly met, as are most of Bruce's projects outside of like Human Touch and Lucky Town, uh, received most with mostly positive praise. So uh, it sold pretty well. It wasn't a huge hit by any standards in the U.S. The album was certified gold, which means it, it sold over 500,000 units, which by Bruce Springsteen standards is not that great. By by most musician standards, it's excellent. But by Bruce standards, it's um, it's subpar. I, I can't imagine he expected it to do that much better. It's kind of a it's a novelty album for by all, you know, for by all standards. Um, the album did sell very well in Europe. It's funny. I, I was looking at the charts and I saw that it it, uh, it scored double platinum in Ireland and I was like whoa that's amazing until I realized like in Ireland double platinum means it sold 30,000 units. So you can you can get single platinum by selling fifth, which I mean makes sense. There's quite a few less people in Ireland than in the US. So cuz in the US <laughs> if I'm not mistaken like you have to sell a million to, to right. get the platinum and in Ireland it's like 15,000 will be fine. Yeah. We'll call that platinum. It's 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 a a weird comparison. Like we'll for them to come over, for yeah, for them to come over and sell platinum in the U.S. is big, and for us to go over there and sell platinum there is like, all right, yeah. <laughs> thank y'all. That's very funny. Uh, so anyway, yeah, as as we said before, this is an album made up of songs mostly written by other people. Many of the songs are very old and are in the public domain. It actually kind of reminds me of Willie Nelson's Stardust album, because like that's also an album of like standards that are mostly in the public domain that um, Willie kind of made his own. And, and Bruce does that with several of the songs here. And I say mostly because there are a few songs that Bruce tweaked some of the lyrics uh, to better speak to the present quote unquote present moment of 2006. So those are the basic facts as, as we have, have them so jb initial thoughts before we get into this what do you see as sort of the other than just like songs that pete seeger also recorded like what do you see as sort of the connective tissue on this album well i the connective tissue 
musically is that we're on a horse, we're riding fast through town, fast through shit in the streets. And on every street corner, there's a redheaded lass playing a violin. That's that's what that's what I'm feeling musically. <laughs> All right. You know, do you feel yeah. that way too? Uh, yeah. I and I generally I I generally have in New Orleans. No. You're riding a horse. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, th- this this album feels like it was made for Jazz Fest. And I mean, quite frankly, like I think the first the first live show that Bruce did with the Sessions Band to promote this record was a Jazz Fest. Yeah. And and anytime Bruce plays Jazz, jazz Fest, back when Jazz Fest existed, back when we were having live music, right. um, anytime Bruce would play at Jazz Fest, he would bring out some of these songs. Like that. Yeah. That's sort of a kind of a given at this point. So jazz I fest, tend to tradition. Yeah, I, I tend to go back and forth on this album a little bit. I, I think I think there's some really good songs here, and I love the Sessions band. In fact, um, when I saw Bruce in 2014 on the High Hopes tour, he did a few songs because he had, he was fresh off of Jazz Fest, actually, and, and they had some of these songs in the rotation, and I really enjoyed it. Now, that said, I think here, here here's my take on this, and I, I tweeted something similar to this earlier. I believe that covers albums should almost always be recorded live. I've decided I decided that today. I'll, I think I think live in Dublin. I think this album should have been recorded in the same way that live in Dublin was recorded. And I don't I, don't, I think this should not have been released as a studio album at all. I think this should have exclusively been live recordings. And I, I think I, I think was it recorded makes, live in studio, though? Mostly? I mean, yes. Yeah, it, it is recorded live in studio. In fact, in fact, if you look at footage of them playing it, they're all standing in a, in a big circle playing and together. Live. And it does, and it does have that kind of energy. But there's just something that happens when a musician, especially someone like Bruce Springsteen, who has such an electric presence in a room full of people, it, there, there is something that comes, there's something that comes alive when when the songs like this are performed in a room where a crowd can sing back to you that yeah. just cannot be fully captured. And these songs were not meant to be like encapsulated in a studio these songs were meant to be recorded in front of people and and sung using the chorus like as a greek chorus you know like his backup singers uh helps to make it feel like that at times yeah and and yeah i think you're right and they do they do a good job of simulating that at some level and quite frankly if we didn't have live in dublin i might not know the difference but because we have yeah Live live in dublin kicks this record's ass but I absolutely agree, and I think that's why we need to talk about Live in Dublin next week, is because I think Live yeah. in Dublin gives these songs a better hearing than this album does. I, but I think I think it, it's almost unfair to this record because, you know, when you, if you've only heard this one, whenever the songs come in, they, you know, most of them start, you know, a lot sparser than they finish. Like every song feels like a third line in New Orleans. It's it's just every song just grows, not by getting louder, but by just someone else joining in. You know, you got like you know at some point like bass drums and just wild cymbals that sound like a monkey's playing them just come in you know like yeah uh like a little monkey with a top hat on <laughs> in, a, in a parade it's just so you know like they have everything but the kitchen sink uh at times and and so i think i think it's super lively now that said live in dublin is is one of my all-time favorite live recordings you know yeah it's very good well and i mean it shows you and i i feel like the existence of live in Dublin, I think is evidence that Bruce probably agrees with me, you know, like that, that these songs are better when you hear them in front of a crowd. And, and, and I I think, I think live in, I mean, we have, we live in Dublin was released less than a year or within a year of this album. And that tells me like, and Bruce didn't have to do that. That tells me that as they were doing this live, as they were performing on this tour, it tells me like, Oh, Bruce, 
figured this out. Bruce understood as they were playing these songs, like, oh, this is better. Like what we did in the studio is almost like it, that's almost like a soundtrack to the thing that people are showing up for here. You know, like, um, which I mean, obviously he had to release the album so he would have something to promote while he went out on the tour. Like this, this tour would have made a lot less sense without the existence of this album. But at the same time, I, I feel like this out, like what Bruce should have done, in my opinion was do basically what he did with Western Stars, which is like get some people together in a in a relatively small room somewhere in New Jersey, say like, look, we're just going to record a bunch of folk songs, sing along, clap, or go down to New Orleans and just say like, Bruce is going to do some standards. And yeah. he's got a horn section. It's not going to be Bruce Springsteen does normal stuff. So don't expect that. If, if they had gone down to New Orleans and recorded exactly this album in front of a jazz fest crowd, this album would be so much more electric and so much more interesting. Imagine if they did, if they tried to recreate that big family energy on stage at like a small venue, though, like Tipitina's. Oh, that would have been incredible. That. Like it would have oh. blown the whole roof off the place. Oh, that'd so, be great. So overall, I, I, I mostly like this album, but I, I also have to concede that it's probably one of the more disposable parts of his body of work. Um, mostly, yeah. I mean, that's the nature of a covers album, right? Like you can get rid of it and you don't lose anything that you already know about Bruce Springsteen. But I, I do I do like his version of a lot of these songs. I, I revisit some of this stuff a lot. Really, I, I revisit Live in Dublin a lot more than I, re, I revisit this. But the sure. overall, so I spent a lot of time trying to think about the connective tissue as we do in the season. And to me, and this is this wasn't hard to puzzle. It's not like it took a this lot of time. season of Marrow. <laughs> yes. And and what what I sort of came came away with, and again, this is not like a new revelation, but basically, these are songs sung through the lens and with the voice of the marginalized. Like that's that yeah. is the connective issue, and that, I mean that's that is the Pete Seeger like ethic. That 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 is what Pete Seeger is attempting to do. And I think this album is at its best, and these songs are at their best when they're attempting to channel that energy. And I think this album loses me when it's just trying to be like cute or fun or gimmicky just for the sake of being cute or fun. And specifically I'm talking about track one, which we will get to in a minute. But um, anyway, it's other, almost think, like liberation, you know, from something. Yeah, liberation is absolutely, is absolutely a theme here. Li- but liberation, but also lament. There, there's some songs here that are straight up lament. Yeah. Um, and and it is. I mean, that that tends to be. And a lot of times I think like I'm listening to, to songs from this album and I keep thinking, like, I wish my Trump supporting relatives would listen to this particular song, you know, because I feel like this song kind of gets at the heart of why what we see right now in the White House is so toxic, because it does not acknowledge these particular kinds of stories and these particular kinds of struggles. So I'm glad that these, these struggles and these stories and these songs were given a fresh hearing in 2006 by someone as prominent as Bruce Springsteen. And so I, overall, I'm glad that this exists. I'm glad he, he took the time to make that. Well, and, and I don't think it cost us anything either. Cause in 2005, we get devils and dust 2007, we get both live in Dublin and magic. So it's not like he was like, like it's not like his output suffered right. at all. So if if he had released this and then put put out nothing for three more years, that would I think have been frustrating. But that he gave us this and it didn't necessarily cost us anything else, I think is great. I think it, this is just like bonus material for people who love Bruce Springsteen. All right, any other initial thoughts on on the album as a whole before we get into the track by track? I love the energy of it. I love what the band brings to it. I love that uh, Bruce plays off the band so much, and I love the like sort of lament and calling, you know, calling out that you hear all throughout. Yeah, you know, and then, especially with the backup singers, you know. Yes, the band here is top notch, and I, I do, I do think it's a bummer that like Bruce hasn't worked with them again since. I was kind of surprised that he didn't work with them again 
when he recorded the Western Stars film, but I, he he brought in some different musicians for that. But uh, it's I I I mean I realize like we, Bruce only has a, a a finite number of years left to to like perform and tour, and twenty twenty is doing us no favors on that front. Right. But um, I I do. I would be really interested if Bruce was like, I'm going to go back out with a sessions band. I'm going to do some, some interesting, like, I don't want this exact tour again, but I would, I'd be interested to see him perform with this group of musicians again, just because I, I, I like the energy that like exactly what you just said. I, I like the energy that they sort of feed off of each other with. Absolutely. You want to dig yeah. into it? Yeah, let's dig into it. So track one is old Dan Tucker. Old Dan Tucker was a fat old man, washed his face in a fine van, combed his hair, Dan Tucker, you've probably heard it. If not on this record, somewhere else. At a theme yeah. park near the uh, rides that have, like, you know, coal cars. <laughs> or racist cartoon characters. Yes. That part uh, of Six Flags. Yeah, for sure. So I or or Disney World. Yeah, uh, ever well, been to Splash Mountain? Yeah. Specifically <laughs> Disney World, I guess. So uh, I, in fact, I emailed our, our friend Lori Pierce, our, our our senior race correspondent, Lori Pierce, and just asked her, like, "Hey, a, as a woman of color, as our senior race correspondent, how do you feel about Old Dan Tucker?" And if you didn't listen to, for those listening, and you didn't listen to our original episode about this, Old Dan Tucker is a song that originated in black or blackface minstrelsy in the pre-Civil War American. I, I I would have said American South, but Lori rightly points out like uh, blackface minstrelsy existed everywhere. But so uh, this song, the origins of this song are problematic. It, it can be traced back to the minstrel singer Dan Emmett, who was white, who wrote a version of the song for his group, the Virginia Minstrels, uh, which is a blackface minstrel troupe uh, made up of all white musicians. So oh, good, 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 good. Yeah, cool, 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 cool. Uh, <laughs> And and so and for those who are like, yeah, so what's the problem? It's old and it's from black. Well, like, look, blackface, the whole purpose of blackface, especially in the pre-American or pre-Civil War era. I mean, I, I say especially not not especially, but in the pre-Civil War era and ever after blackface was a way of white people denigrating black individuals as a way of basically saying, like, look at what buffoons black people are. And thus we must keep them. They are uncivilized. Thus we must keep them enslaved and oppressed. Otherwise, they won't know what to do with themselves. And so, blackface was sort of a comedic way of trying to reinforce really negative, really harmful stereotypes. That's not why it's not okay for you to wear blackface to your college's Halloween party, Trevor. So yeah, like our governor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who is on our the, governor on the record in, to even remember? Oh, Mississippi. Who's oh. like? on the record and on video like shouting racial slurs at Kiese Lehman and his girlfriend at the time on Millsap's campus in blackface but <clears throat> at least he's tweeting positive things about the coronavirus these days right we uh, gotta no. find the we gotta, we gotta find the find the silver tiny, lining around the turd whenever you yeah, can the tiny uh, little speck of light coming through these rocks that have crashed down on us yeah so, which is funny now that I think about it, because like the governor of Virginia also has is like photographed in blackface, and this song originated in Virginia in 1843. Like, oh, oh maybe Ralph Northam's like great 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 grandfather was was in the band. Who knows? Yeah. So, well, and 
uh, in the spirit of uh, this is a long record, we have now spent more time talking about the song than the song takes. You can hear our whole take on the old Dan Tucker episode in the feed. Oh, oh wait, um, I, I do, because I emailed Lori, I, I do want to share her thoughts. Oh, yeah, you said, yeah, sorry, we got sidetracked since the last time you said Lori. Yeah, so basically I asked Lori, like, hey, what what do you do with this song? How do you feel about this song? And Lori actually has a much more generous like nature about the song than I would have or that I, I would have assumed she would have. But basically she she was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look and see if I can get exactly her. her. She said, I, I would do a racial analysis based on the album as a whole rather than singing out or singling out one song. Uh, what do the other songs and their arrangements on the album tell us about what is or is not American folk music? So she tends to sort of look at it as a whole. And it's like, look, it's part of the American folk tradition. It's not great. I don't love it. And maybe it shouldn't be on this record at all. But she's not as upset about it as I tend to be. And um, yeah, like, in fact, at the end of the email, she says, should should Bruce have left off Dan Tucker and Buffalo Gals? Uh, the case for the songs is that they're familiar, fun to sing and apparently fun to play. The case against them is that. Uh, that that is all that they are, which is basically like there's no substance to these songs other than they're old, recognizable folk songs from the American South or from uh, yeah. uh, sorry, the the the, the, the American past. Yeah. And then she writes, the other songs have some depth and say something about m- some of Bruce's favorite topics, war, resistance, morality, work, redemption. And they probably weren't ever performed in blackface. So there's that. So um, so basically it's like, yeah, I mean, it, she's not too de- terribly offended by the existence of these songs, but she's like, yeah, but you don't need them either. So I tend to think, like, to me, Old Dan Tucker is bad. I I, I mean, I'm sure it is fun to play. And Bruce, Bruce uh, justifies it as like, well, it's a square dancing song. And it's possible he just didn't do enough research to, to recognize that it was a blackface song. I mean, the first paragraph on the Wikipedia page would have set him straight, but whatever. Um, anyway, I I think I think this is a major misfire. I would not have included it on the album of, at all if I was Bruce, and I certainly wouldn't have made it the opening track. So that is my two cents on Old Dan Tucker. And like you said, if you want more on our thoughts, my, my thoughts have not changed that much since we last talked about the song a few years ago. Yeah, so the next track is Jesse James. Jesse James was a lad that killed many of he robbed the Glendale train. He stole from the rich and he gave it to the poor. He'd a hand and a heart and a brain. Well, it was Robert Ford, that dirty little coward. I wonder now how he feels. Afraid of Jesse's bread and he slept in Jesse's bed and he laid for Jesse in his grave. It's a 19th century folk song that mythologizes the famous outlaw Jesse James and demonizes his killer, the coward Robert Robert Ford. It kind of makes Jesse into a type of Old West version of Robin Hood. Um, It's not necessarily historically accurate, but it's it's fun to to talk about. So I don't I don't know if this song gets at like, okay, first of all, old Dan Tucker does not at all get the overall theme of what this album is trying to do, which, again, is why it's a misfire. Because if the overall theme is like Voices of the Marginalized denigrating and you making a cartoon caricature of an entire race of people not a great way to add right. like voice to the marginalized this kind of gets a little closer to it. i like the song a lot but i it kind of gets a little closer to it because it's like you know pe- people people in hard times need a folk hero you know and yeah like, he was sort of a seen as sort of a robin hood and robert ford was seen as the guy who killed him you know he was a man of the people and robert ford killed him can i just say I mentioned before, like my Trump supporting relatives, that is how they view Donald Trump, that in the mythology of the Fox News viewing crowd, that Donald Trump is the Jesse James of the song. Like he's he's here to like set people straight and he's here to like turn over the tables and mess with people and he's going to upset people and no one can take him alive. You know what I mean? 
And so the song, as much as I like Ooh. the song, it bothers me a lot more knowing like, oh, like I, now I know what happens when you mythologize a problematic historical figure in real yeah. time. Like you, you end up making a hero out of somebody who is dangerous. So that is that that was sobering to, to realize as I was thinking about this song earlier today. Yeah, but also like Luke Skywalker and Robin Hood. Yeah, but also I, Luke's a little problematic sometimes too. So you know, with the sister and all, you know, it's just yeah. just gotta try your best to be on the right side every day. Yeah, you, you do. That's a good point. <laughs> Have anyway, you read the book, Jesse the Jesse James and the, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford? No, you've you've brought up the movie several times. You mentioned that you you have a friend who like keeps this this movie on on repeat, and that's confusing. Oh yeah. Too. I also love the the I haven't read the whole book, but like the first page is the most beautifully written list ever. So it's cool. We we may get a chance to talk about this song again next week. I I tend to really prefer the the live and oh, version yeah. of this. Um. Well, in the spirit of that, check out our episode next week or. The actual episode we did on Jesse James, but let's, let's move on to Miss McGrath. Mrs. McGrath, the sergeant said, Would you like a soldier of your son dead? The scarlet coat, the big contact, and Mrs. McGrath, would you like that? With your two right, holding the A, two right, right, right. With your two right, holding the A, two right, right, right. Yeah, so this is a pretty heartbreaking account of a mother whose son returns home from war without his two fine legs. So again, like, what voice are we amplifying here? We're we're amplifying the voice of not soldiers necessarily, but the the mothers of soldiers, which is people always about the guys who were yeah hurt overseas back then. Yeah. This is the the Peninsula War of the earlier 19th century when it was originally written. Yeah, well, and it's inspired. also yeah, and it's also sort of giving like this almost like cheek cynical way of like yeah i mean sure he lost his legs but hey he's a soldier you know like it's a it, it's a pretty cold yeah like like i said kind of tongue-in-cheek way of of, of it's dealing, a, of it's dealing with born the in the law. usa it is very much born in the usa it's born in the usa it's uh uh devil's arcade it's a good man it's hard to find it, it kind of it continues to sort of re-energize that we that shall part over, of i mean uh, we take care of our own yeah yeah very much so um except the one thing that we take care of our own does perfectly that none of the other ones do is it also it's sarcastic but it's also hope in the same words yeah so sorry i'm gonna shut up about my favorite song now yeah i mean hey we'll we will get to it we will get to that <laughs> one day one day uh, but one day but uh but yeah yeah, so and this is, by the way, the, the existence of Mother's Day as a holiday is the result of stories like this. In fact, I feel like this song should be the official song of Mother's Day because the oh whole existence God. of Mother's Day. Well, Hallmark, I mean, that's, you know, just with yeah. a card that says, tell your mother who right. Yeah. Or the, the part where Mrs. McGrath tells her son, like she she wished he would have died in the war rather than come home without his legs. Like, that's rough. Can you, you know, imagine Bruce in the studio. I want to see uh, Ben Stiller do this so bad. Where he's like, <laughs> he's like, all right, two right, a fo did diddly dia. All right, I think I got it. All right, here we go. You ready, Chuck? All right, cool. Hit. Two right, a diddly fuck. <laughs> Sorry, you're gonna. Have to that. <laughs> well, now we, we just got our explicit content label. You, well, you can bleep it. Nah. Or cut it. You can cut it. I'm not bleeping it. I'm not cutting it. It stays. <laughs> it all stays. I don't care. We're in quarantine. Doing it live. We're doing it live. 
Yeah. All right. It's like, I remember the other, I was talking to my mom a couple months ago about something like very serious and I cussed and she kind of looked at me funny and I was like, I cuss. We all know that. I'm not going to, I'm going to use all my energy on this other very important issue that we're trying to work out right now. And she was like, okay. And I told that exact same thing, like four other people that week. And it was great. It's, it's just like a weight lifted off my shoulder and they don't think less of me. Anyway. So anyway. track four. <laughs> track four. Um, Mary, don't you weep. song we both think very highly of this song yeah uh, it's just a beautiful story and also uh the way they sing it is so beautiful in new orleans Susie does just karate chops and backflips all over the intro i love this song yeah this is thematically this is the opposite of old dan tucker this is a spiritual sl- sung by enslaved people in the pre-civil war american south um and Lot, lots of uh, spirituals took biblical language that they had learned from their white Christian slave masters, and they used it as code for language about freedom. And the white people thumping their Bibles were too ignorant and hypocritical to realize that they were the villains in the stories. They're like, oh, we're – they didn't take a second to recognize the fact that they were the drowned pharaohs. So um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. And we all are. Like that's yep. the message of the Bible. If you live in America and, and or are white, and or you know generally relate to us uh and you think that you are like the hebrews in the old testament you're not (laughs) if you can watch a video of a white police officer murdering a black man and still use the term blue lives matter you're the pharaoh in the story yeah congratulations so yeah anyway so that's 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 the the real deal um But man, this is a good song. Yeah. And that, I mean, it holds very firmly to the theme of voices of the marginalized and voices of the oppressed. This, these are these are songs sung by enslaved people. So, oh, well, uh, this, this goes back to the very what you were talking about now goes back to the very beginning of liberation theology, which is what yes. I was thinking about when I, you know, you said, what is the theme of this this record? And and I don't think the whole thing is about liberation theology, which is about the black American uh experience uh not not always but that's sort of where it is talked about widely here right now well, it's, it's, it's the theology it is the theology that the gospel is oriented towards setting the oppressed free and not in yes. some sort of metaphorical afterlife way but in a real justice oriented way the, there's a writer named james cone who died not that long ago who wrote a book called the cross and the lynching tree who writes a lot about this and it's very much worth reading so yeah anyway go ahead Anyway, so this is this is this record is sort of has like these these liberation theology um, ideas, but from the perspectives of a lot of early American um, bodies and voices. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and and you're right. I, I think th- this the dom- the the singular theme of the album is not necessarily liberation theology, but liberation theology is one of the one or two primary ingredients that makes this album what it is. Like these songs are sung by poor whites in Kentucky and poor farmers in Oklahoma and poor blacks in the South and Actually, poor yeah. like that. That's who popularized these songs. 
and wrote these songs that Pete Seeger collected and 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 you know popularized is is the downtrodden, you know. Yes, actually, now that you're saying that, yeah, you're. I mean, th- this. I mean, really, if you want to understand liberation theology, this this album is a really good place to start. Particularly songs like "Oh Mary, Don't You Weep" and "Jacob's Ladder," which we'll get to in a second. But yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, really, yeah, you're right. Th- this this John Henry album, a little really, bit. Well, I mean, let's talk about that. Uh, track five, John Henry. Well, John Henry. Tells the biographical prove it. Let's talk about it. Say what? You were like, prove it. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. Go. Uh, So it's about a man who is stronger than any machine, but he's also a black man, even a free black man, who loses his life to the white man's ambitions and greed. So even though John Henry is a triumph, he all is a he's a tragic figure because he dies, and he doesn't even die for his own well-being or the well-being of. Um, like the people that he's responsible for, he he dies and ultimately ends up making white people richer by helping build the railroad. So, you know. Well, and also by doing the work that got them to the point of being able to build the machine. They built the machine that killed him on the back of his labor. Yeah, automation ends up being one of the motifs on this on this record too. Like um like human labor versus mechanized labor. Yeah. That's interesting. And that's kind a of big, connection as yeah, well. Yeah. Talk about that today in a group I'm in and sort of automation and safety nets and you know can you can you build a sort of hybrid capitalist socialist society to which i say we invented all of them we can invent a new one sure yeah which which honestly effortlessly leads us to track six which is erie canal which is also about automation i got a mule and a name is sam 15 miles on the Erica now She's a good old worker and a good old pal 15 miles on the Erica now We hauled some barges in our day Filled with lumber, coal and hay We know every inch of the way From Albany to Buffalo I, I think this is one of the most fun songs on the album. And it's the song was written by Thomas S. Allen after the Erie Canal barge traffic was converted from mule power to engine power. You know, he's got a mule and his name is Sal. Um, so it's about it's basically it's about the fallout of technological progress of automation. And like, what is this guy and his mule Sal going to do now? Like, even though even though progress is a natural part of economic expansion, it also like it basically the song is a way of saying like let's not let's not kid ourselves and pretend like everybody gets to come along for the ride as we build new things and prosper. Some people are gonna end up being left behind if we're not cognizant of that of, of the of the human cost of this. So, but just like with the story of John Henry, it's kind of asking the question in between the lines like, but what's who's to say that we can't take care of the people who have gotten us here? Absolutely. If well, this is progress, then things are better, right? So absolutely. the idea of progressivism is that we make things better, and for the people that leaves behind, we just try, we just take care of with the benefits of our progress. Yeah, we we can't just justify continuing to use willpower and horses and buggies. Like we have to continue moving forward. Yeah. But like you said, we also have to be 
aware of like who that will hurt if we don't if we're not careful as we go forward. In fact, um, not to just make this like all about like campaigns and elections, but I I, I thought Joe Joe Biden gave an interesting speech in the last week or so, which in in which he said something about like he said when when Donald Trump says the word climate change, all uh, the only thing he can think of is the word hoax. When I hear the word, the phrase climate change, I think about jobs. And so one of the things, and I don't, and this is part of like the Green New Deal and expansion. And without getting into sort of like the the details of the policies, the overall pitch that he's making, whether or not like how, how tenable that is, I don't know. I'm not an economist, but the pitch that he's making is like, look, just because we get better at taking care of the earth doesn't mean that coal miners and people who do the kinds of work that are naturally kind of bad for the environment, it doesn't mean that that group of people has to die of starvation. Like we can we can take care of people as we get better, you know. And so like that's like the 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 lament of the song Erie Canal is like everybody like the rich people got like moved forward and they got better and they built machines but nobody nobody asked questions about like how's this going to affect me how's this going to affect Sal you know yeah. and so and and so i i like the sentiment that the green new deal kind of brings to this which is like we we can continue to take care of or we can ask questions about what it means to take care of the earth without hurting the people who are going to need jobs as we make these changes you know and like why can't we have another wba that uses technology and machines to update you know and the people who run them to update you know our parks that were built in the last wba and neglected since then like what's wrong with that yeah why can't we take care of Sal and his and his uh, and his mule? You know. Yeah. Can, can we not? Can we not make progress while also, if you will, taking care of our own? Yeah. So yeah, and that brings us to Jacob's ladder. We are Now this is another uh, spiritual. If we weren't in New Orleans before this song started, very you much so. are now. Yeah, I, I think. In fact, I think the last time he played Jazz Fest, he did the song. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this is another. It's a song about liberation. It, it's is a reference to a story in the Book of Genesis in which uh, a character named Jacob has a dream and he sees a ladder and he's on the run from his brother Esau who wants to kill him. So it's about a person fleeing for his life, seeking peace, and that's what the ladder represents. So this is this is a straight up spiritual about people on the run seeking freedom and peace so very relevant to the time that it was written and this is again like you were saying it's it is liberation theology it's it's a way of sort of getting at like the voices of the marginalized and maybe voices that people with a lot of resources and money aren't necessarily listening for you want to hear a good vocal performance from bruce this song man and look this is another one of the songs that i think makes your earlier points a little harsh this is a lot. While this may not be live in front of a film, live in front of a studio audience, this is a lively song that everyone in the room is building as a You know what I mean? Like the moment is sufficiently captured in time uh, here. And yeah, it is great in front of a live audience. And I, I'm not like, I do think live in Dublin is so much better. I'm just saying like this song is, is perfectly done for what it is. Yeah. I'm not saying this is bad. I'm saying, Live is better. Yes. That's yeah, fine. That's <laughs> You're right. I'm just saying, like, this isn't bad. Like 
almost every time I listen to We Shall Overcome, the first thing I want to do is switch over and listen to live. Listen to live version. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and that's, you know, that 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 is a credit to how good Bruce and this band are in front of a crowd. You yeah. know, I don't think that when I listen to, I like when I listen to Devils and Dust, I don't think, man, I really want to go listen to a live Devils and Dust tour excerpt. You know, like, I don't think that. But with these songs specifically, there is something about being sung in front of a group of people that what, however much life is injected into the room, it is tenfold in front of a crowd. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to My Oklahoma Home. When they opened up the strip, I was young and full of zip. I want some place to call my home. And so I made the race and I stick me in a place. And I settled down along somewhere wrong. It blowed away. It blowed away. My Oklahoma home blown away. It blowed away. It blowed away. I love how that that just gets so big, you know? Yeah. Because it starts off like Mark Clifford is playing some very understated and beautiful banjo. And uh, the upright uh, is great. And then uh, he says it blowed away. And like four guys are like, blow it away. And it just gets bigger and and better. And it's a fun song. It is fun. I like this. Yeah. And so this is a it's a Dust Bowl song. It actually was written by it was written in 1961, which is well after the end of the Dust Bowl. But it was written by Agnes Cunningham and her brother, Bill, who were Dust Bowl survivors. So it, it has a real personal edge to it. Uh, and it has a real thematic connection to the ghost of Tom Joad, obviously, um, because it's a Dust Bowl song. You know, I mean, look, it's it's about it's not just about like natural disasters like tornadoes, but it's also about like like how relentless the bank is or the, the lender is when they want their money, which a lot of people, quite frankly, right now in the middle of a giant disaster are like while trying not to get sick or trying to keep their jobs or trying to do all the things they're trying to trying to figure out how to educate their kids are yeah. also trying to figure out, like, what am I going to tell my landlord or what am I going to tell my mortgage lender? Yeah, uh, I got to say, man, there's a lot of people out there being that are just filled with grace about money owed to them right now. And and I want to just say thank you so much to all those people who are doing that. Yes. And all the people who are paying their staff, even though they can't necessarily open their restaurant for as many hours. I see you out there. I love you. I The ones I know I have hugged and they're not hugged, but, but high, you know, high elbowed from a distance, I guess, is yeah. what we can do now. But, you know, seriously, but a lot of you out there who have money owed to you, right? Like I got money owed to me right now, but a lot of you out there since we're already explicit in this episode of being real dicks about it. So just, <laughs> if you're one of those people being a dick about money right now, just chill out. Okay. Also, why are you listening to a Bruce Springsteen podcast? You know, we're going to call you out eventually. That's right. And speaking of Bruce, you know, you could, you could have put out two versions of this record instead of three, you know, that was kind of being a dick about money too, but you know what? <laughs> it's great. It's great. And we're good. And now that we're you know, firing shots, we're just going to take aim at everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's tough. Uh, it's funny, like these are all covers of very old songs, but God, they're <sighs> bringing out like the political edge, aren't? Are they not? Like, how relevant yeah. are these songs that they're just getting us worked up? You know. Well, let's look into Eye on the Prize then. Falling silence, bound in jail, had no money for to go the bail. Keep your eyes on the prize. And Silas thought they was lost. Dungeon shook and the chains come on. Keep your eyes.
Eyes on the Prize, track nine. This is a popular folk song during the American Civil Rights Movement. Uh, kind of became I, the phrase "eyes on the prize" became sort of shorthand for staying focused on the singular goal of total racial equality, equality in America. This is another one like, yeah, th- this this hits the bullseye. This is exactly the kind of song that uh, should be on this record. You might make the argument that maybe Bruce should have brought in an African American singer to do lead on this song, but you know he's Bruce Springsteen, so he's going to do what he's going to do. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's good. And again, it's it's one of those things like it's not just a song; it's a history lesson. And call if anybody doing any kind of exploration like we're doing is gonna have to like reckon with where the song came from and what it means. And you know, in 2020, as you know, protests are mounting, and is like I, I think just as we record this, it's like the news of the secret police throwing people in the back of vans in Portland is just like two days old. So like this is oh, like geez. fresh and relevant and uh, very upsetting. So like I. And John Lewis has recently passed away. So, like, we're, you know, it's it's sad to me that this song is as old as it is, and people were singing it and, like, putting their lives on the line in service to the message of the song. And it's 2020, and, like, John Lewis died, and we were still, like, th- the struggle continues. You still know? fight like, the same damn fight. Yeah. I can only, like, you know, I'm tired. I can only imagine how tired he was. <laughs> I mean, he fought to the, his very last day. He, yeah. he, he was a true american hero and i i, I want to say we needed him but god i mean he gave us so much more than than he owed us you know yep. so so i i'm you know I, what what to say other than like th- this this song reminds me of that that story and those stories and that that th- the fight continues and that again like two days ago people were getting dragged into police like unmarked secret police vans in portland is so discouraging and so infuriating and november cannot get here fast enough yeah oh yeah not to make it overly political but this is a pete Seeger covers album so what are we gonna do you know like yeah what do you want us to do yeah (laughs) and again i mean we might hear from like a trump supporting listener but like look if if you're listening to us and you're upset how do you feel about the rest of this album because you know your your boy is getting called out on every one of these songs If you have a MAGA sign in your front yard and this album doesn't bother you, you need to listen to it one more time, my friend. One more time. Much closer. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, also, thanks for listening. We really appreciate your listenership. So, <laughs> couldn't do this without you. Love you so yeah. much. <laughs> so, this anyway. Song is, uh, gorgeous. Susie playing some violin here that's beautiful with some other strings in the background. Shenandoah, I love you. The way rolling river I'll take across the water Away bound away Across the wild It's a, you know, an old song about a man who falls in love with the daughter of the of Shenandoah, who's a chief of the Oneida tribe, and that's that's what this song's about. A love song. I don't love the way he sings on this song. It's very nasal. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But the, I, I, you know, the violin's great. I could just take it as an instrumental, you know? Yeah. I don't know if this needs to be on the album. Nah. You know, um, Lori, Lori broke down like what each of these songs is in her like she broke down the whole album, and her description of this is white folk song, which is yeah that's right. So it's 
and I don't know. I mean, I realize it it is about like an interracial relationship between a white man and a yeah. native. So it sort of gets at that well, as a. I just read the Blood Moon, which is about the Cherokee like ceding all their land over time to uh, the predatory U.S. government, and it it's a there's a lot of like mixed marriage politics in the whole story of like the you know the whiting of America. So I don't know. It it feels a little relevant to me, but that's just because I just read that super specific book. Yeah. And I mean, it was a song that Pete Seeger did. So, I mean, it fits the broader theme, I guess, in that he's covering songs that Pete Seeger used to sing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, if I'm if I'm cutting, if I'm trying to make this from, uh, I mean, how, who, who even knows how long this album is? 13, 15, 18 tracks. If I'm trying to make it shorter, I, I feel like this one can go. Like cut, You can cut old Dan Tucker. You can cut this song. You can cut, I'm getting ahead of myself. You can cut Froggy Winnick Gordon. And it's a, it's a much tighter, much more interesting album, I think. Yeah, you know what? Speaking of much more interesting, the live in Dublin version of "Pay Me My Money Down" is like eighty thousand times better than this version. Yes. Okay. So that yeah, your track eleven, "Pay Me My Money Down," absolutely agree. I thought I heard the captain say, "Pay me my money down." Tomorrow is our sailing day. Pay me my money down. Pay me. Pay me. Pay me my money down Pay me or go to jail Pay me my money down As soon as that boat clears the bar Pay me my money down Alright, you ready for a hot take? This is... Bruce started playing this song and that's what made him write Easy Money on Wrecking Ball. I I, I can't find an argument against that. That, yeah, that, makes, that makes total sense. A because, true fact <laughs> that I know. Yeah, it is a true possibility. <laughs> yes. So, so what Bruce writes... It is a yeah, fact that it is my hypothesis. <laughs> yes. And you know what? It doesn't get more factual than that. So in the in the liner notes, Bruce writes, this is a protest song sung by black stevedores in Georgia and South Carolina ports. Unscrupulous ship captains would often try to slip out of the harbor with their workers unpaid. So it's a song about... It, it's a song that represents unpaid workers raging against cheap employers. Again, if you've got a MAGA sign in your yard ask yourself how many people out there have accused your boy of not paying them after they did work oh come get your boy so (laughs) yeah so so yeah this is a song raging against cheap employers who are hiring people and then not paying them what they're owed which is again center of the bullseye this is about you know workers who are unpaid and being taken advantage of because there's no system i mean really this song is a case for unionization you know, because without yeah. without unionization, an employer can do this theoretically, especially then when there was no like there were no other like methods of recourse. I mean, a, a ship captain or whoever, a boss could could totally do that, could, could totally say, like, go work your shift and then I'll pay you when you're done. And then the boss slips out before everybody's done. And what recourse do you have? Like, you what you can't what are you going to hire a lawyer? Like, what are you going to do? So. Um, so, yeah, th- this song is is a pretty strong case in favor of unions, which is a, a pet subject of Bruce's for sure. Yeah. Which leads us to one of the most beautiful songs on the record. Track 12. Uh, track 12, We Shall Overcome. Hey, we shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. Some 
Love this song makes me cry every time. Yeah, it's just soft and heartfully sung. You know, it's a beautiful song. There's some harp. You yeah. know, this I was think. this song was the major anthem during the American Civil Rights Movement. Um, Martin Luther King quoted it in um, in speeches. I think LBJ quoted it when he signed the Civil Rights Act. Like th- this song was ubiquitous. Like th- this was the th- the song embodied the civil rights movement in a lot of ways. So um, it, it has a long, rich history that we won't get into. Again, if you want to go back and listen to our episode about it, you can. Um, but there, there, it's, there's a good reason why he names this album, We Shall Overcome, colon, The Seeger Sessions. Like he's, yeah. Because th- th- this song is the theme of the record, which is great, but also it, it continues to shine light on the songs that don't necessarily fit the theme, which is what we've already sort of talked about. But I, in fact, I think this should have been the last song. I think the, I think the album should have stopped at the end of this song. Oh, yeah. Versus the next song, which uh, is how how the original ver- version of this album ends, which is Froggy Winnicorton. Mr. Froggy Winnicorton, man, he did right on. Froggy Winnicorton, man, he did right on. Froggy Winnicorton, man, he did right on. Sword and pistol by his side. This is, I guess, makes it an actual blessing that you know there was a new version that came out afterwards. But so we can sort of like blur up the line between what was and what's the final track of the record. Yeah, Yeah. we shall overcome is perfect. It is exactly what it needs to be. It's it if it were the last track, it's exactly where where it would need to be. Putting Froggy Winnicorton as the closing track after we shall overcome is like serving someone the most beautiful, perfectly cooked dinner you've ever cooked them and then dumping jello in their lap and calling it dessert mm, jello tweeted out today you know my summer body's gonna jiggle in the pool that's what jello tweeted out today how do you know that oh no <laughs> oh my god i know what everyone tweeted today that's that's a superpower right there so it's froggy like winnicorton is tell like, me much like froggy winnicorton sorry froggy i just winnicorton got really close is yeah, uh-huh. I'm going to say that I agree with you. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So the song is shockingly old. It, its first known appearance was in 1548 in Scotland. And I think I, I, we have to go back and listen to our original episode to talk about it. I, I mean, I think it's a coded way of talking about, like, power dynamics. But it makes no sense. It, it is it is using metaphors and language that have long since passed. It It, it is unnecessary. I realized, like, well, Pete Seeger did it, so Bruce put it. Yeah, Pete Seeger did a lot of songs that Bruce could have otherwise done and, and not resorted to Froggy Winnicorton. Because the song may have been, but probably wasn't about Francois, Duke of Anjou's wooing of Elizabeth the First of England. Right. Which you know, any 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 hobo sitting around a campfire singing Pete Seeger songs is going to know that. So it's true. It's actually what Down Abbey's based off of. That makes total sense to me. It's not true. I made that up too. I don't know anything about it. But uh, th- this song is pointless. I hate it. I don't want it on this album. I don't want it anywhere near anything that I'm listening to. It's dumb. I It frustrates me quite a lot. The track one, the, the opening track and the closing track of this album are terrible. Yeah. One's a blackface Sad. song. One's pointless. And like 
if if Bruce had shaved off track one and track thirteen, this this album would be infinitely better. Yeah. So, are we gonna talk about the other stuff here, or are we gonna talk about it somewhere else? Uh, are are the other? I mean, we, let's let's name them. But the, the other ones are the other ones all on live in Dublin. I don't know. Let's, I mean, let's let's hit them real fast. We we can we can do a lightning round. Yeah, so, let's just do it. Let's just do so, it normal. All right. So the next, so if you bought the American Land edition, you got the 18 songs. Friday when according is not where you stop listening because you keep going into Buffalo Gals, oh, which is another the Buffalo Gal. As I was walking down the street, down the street, down the street, a pretty little girl I chance to meet, we danced by the light of the moon. Buffalo Gals, won't you come out? Now, this is another blackface song. It's about prostitutes in Buffalo. And um, has really does not fit the theme at all, but it is very recognizable. And like Lori said, it's probably as if you're a musician, it's probably a lot of fun to play in a band. So it's a it's a it's a whatever. Like I don't I don't care at all about the song. It makes no difference, you know, but it's I, I, I don't need it, you know. Yeah, I'm with you. To me, it's uh, not quite as offensive as old Dan Tucker because it doesn't paint a caricature of a um of, of a black man who is a buffoon but it does sort of like make lighthearted it, it it does make light of like probably forced prostitution in upstate new york you know which so that's not great um you know i'm sure donald trump wished them well yeah as he does all sex traffickers jeez yeah he's a monster he's terrible get him out of here uh, well but thank god that he makes some better decisions with how to end this record the next go around because the next couple tracks are pretty decent okay so the next one is how can i keep from singing doesn't do that much for me either how do you feel about this i mean it's a beautiful song and it's beautifully performed but yeah it's i mean i think about it right now uh except my answer is really flippant but like to the question i was thinking about it like during quarantine like music you know is the thing that like sort of releases me even when i'm sad and and depressed but honestly my answer to the question how can i keep from singing like today is like easy like watch not saying that. <laughs> yeah. Watch me so, but I mean, I can't. I'm still, you know, every time I see my kids, I just break out a song. I really do. I just only talk to them that way. Because uh, I just love them and that makes me want to sing. But I think the next song is sort of a similar situation, but it's Check, you. check 16. Yeah. But it's it's a, a much, much better execution. How can, how can a poor man stand such times and live? Well, a doctor comes around here with his face all bright And he says in a little while you'll be all right All he gives is a humbug pill A dose of dope and a great big bill Tell me how can a poor man stand such times and live? 
I love this song. I love the the live version. In fact, we're we're definitely gonna have to talk about this one next week. Um, but this I this love to the me, way he starts this one though on the record, just the way he's singing with this snare drum. I love it. I love when it's just the snare drum sometimes. It's great. Yeah, I there, there's a lot of really good turns of phrase here, and and Bruce changed a lot of the lyrics. Um, and I, I think, and we talked about this when we recorded the original version, but tra- uh, the, the first verse is one of the original verses, but the rest of the verses Bruce changed and updated, which I guess is why it ended up on the bonus tracks. And, you know, it, so it's not a true seeker cover because a lot of it is like updated specifically in light of Hurricane Katrina. Yeah, it, it, there's there's a direct reference to George W. Bush. Uh, we, and we, we can talk more about that next week. We don't have to camp camp out on that. We can get into it next time. But um, yeah, man, it's so good, though. It is great. This this to me is I mean, it's one of the only times Bruce like straight up writes a new version of a song on this whole thing. I, it, it's it's a it's a standout hit for me on this. It's it's one of the, the, the most indispensable tracks on the whole thing. It reminds me of. um the Father John Misty song, um, Bored in the USA. What's that song? Is that what it's called? I don't know. Yeah, Bored in the USA. Oh, it reminds me of that. Just that line, like, all he gives me is a humbug bill, a dose of dope, and a great big bill. Yeah. That's Bored in the USA is like that. It's like I got a um, – uh, they gave me a, a useless education. I got a subprime ho- loan on a craftsman home. And I got some pills so I can kind of deal, but I can't get off. <laughs> and it's just like this list of like, you know, it gives me a humbug pill and a dose of dope and a great big bill, you know. Yeah. Well, it also it gets at the the feeling of expendability among people who are in, in the class of have nots, you know, like like how like it, it talks about basically the, the picture of George W. Bush saying like um, me and my, my old pals had some mighty fine times around here and. Um, my my favorite I, I I think my favorite turn of phrase in the in the song is when he says them who got got out of town them who ain't got got left to drown yeah right you after know? Martha giving me my sixteen and some dry shells yeah I love that verse there's and bodies really, floating on canal and the levee's gone to hell and I mean how how relevant is that now I hate to continue banging this drum but like my, our lieutenant not long like very recently was like yeah some people are gonna die. And, you know, like if we send kids back to school, sure, people will die. But, you know, people got to go to school. Have you and seen that girl? On, there's a girl on TikTok who's singing a version of the King George song from Hamilton as Betsy DeVos. No, but that's freaking great. I'll cut, you know, I'll show you my love by cutting your national fund, your federal funding. Oh my God! You go awesome. back, just you see. <laughs> I love that song so much. Oh, I gotta, I gotta find that. That's a, that's all it. over his chin, and the way he says "back," you go back, <laughs> back. That's my kids love that. My Shut my kids performed Hamilton. a little mini Hamilton performance in our living room the other night. Yeah. So anyway, that so yeah, that's that's the nature of that's what's going on in this song. It's it's a lament for people who have been kind of thrown in the garbage in service of like the government either not caring enough to use the resources or not even asking questions about what is needed and so which i guess is basically two versions of the same thing and like hurricane katrina is a very in in light of what's going on now hurricane katrina was a very 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 small version of what we are currently experiencing all over the country right now which is like you got people who are yeah like you got very very wealthy powerful people who are trying to get the rest of us to send our kids back to school and basically like we're all gonna so we, we are all for them because they're tired of paying benefits without 
getting um, work, which is understandable. But the time, but like no one's considering like these these crazy times we're in, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, like, yeah. How can a poor yeah. man? How? Yeah. How can we stay in such times and live? How? How are we supposed to? How are we supposed to be right now? If like the choices are either go to work and possibly catch a deadly virus or don't go to work or don't send your kids to school and lose your income, lose your health care, lose your child's education, lose your federal funding. Like these are like no one should have to make these choices. And we are all being forced to make these choices because of terrible leadership. Yeah. So how can how can any of us stand such times and live? So anyway, uh, the next song is one of my favorites off the record and, and honestly, just one of my favorite songs. Bring them home. If you love this land of the free, bring them home, bring them home. Bring them back from overseas. Bring them home, bring them home. It'll make the politicians sad, I know. Bring them home. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It reminds me of the Kevin Devine line. You say, support the troops. I do. I want them all brought home. Yeah. And all the buildings that you bomb raise from the ground and pull your contractors the fuck out. Just while we're at the, expl- the <laughs> explicit mark today. Yeah, yeah, I mean, already. we already, yeah, the ship has sailed. So we got, yeah. yeah, we got the explicit content warning already. If you love the land of the free, bring them home, bring them home, bring them back from overseas, bring them home, bring them home. It'll make the politicians sad, I know. <laughs> bring him home, bring him home. I mean, shoot, at this point, I would settle for don't let bounties be put on their heads. But yeah, bring him home yeah. too. Or if you do, don't pat the guy on the back who did it. Yeah, stop licking the butthole of the guy who paid people to kill your troops. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. We I do sometimes wonder if people who go to my church listen to this podcast, and I may find out. This is alphabetical Springsteen from Annaling to to Zero and Blind Terry. <laughs> nice. uh, Pastor Rob and his shitty depressed friend JB just sitting here. Hey man, look, I've been I've been Get stuck sad. in my house. I've been stuck in my house for four months battling all the things I'm battling. No, I'm with you. Sermons into a computer camera. I'm I'm all done being diplomatic at this point. Like we're this is preventable. We have become a global embarrassment. And like no like the, the I, I heard I think I heard Ben Rhodes say this earlier today. Like the the American passport used to be like a gold plated like you could go anywhere. It used to be the gold standard for passports around the world. Like it would it was a golden ticket. And now it's like U.S. passport is basically a it, it's a. It's it's basically like a, a skull and crossbones at this point. Like what? Yeah. No, why don't, when will no. people understand that? Like they're like, we don't want you coming here, and everybody's like, yeah, we don't want to be there. Yeah. Uh, all yeah. All of a sudden, all the rest of the countries in the world are like, cool, 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 cool. We will not go there. You have convinced us. So yeah, which I guess is brings us to American land. Here we are. What is this land, America? So many travel there. I'm going now while I'm still young. My darling, meet me there. Wish me luck, my lovely house, and free you when I can. And we'll make our home in the American land. Over there, the women wear silk and satin to their knees. And children, dear, the sweets I hear are growing on the trees. Gold comes right. 
Uh, good cover. It's a great cover. I think this is a quasi original, is it not? This is Hall of Fame. I guess it is. Yeah, this is. So uh, yeah, I Bruce did this at the very first show I ever saw him do. He was doing this at the end of the Magic Tour every night, and uh, it's great. I love this song. Yeah, I love the piccolo or recorder or whatever. Yeah, I like that. I mean, again, the live version of this blows the the studio version away. Actually, is there a studio version? I think there may just be two different live versions. This is a live version, yeah. This is oh, there is a studio version. There, I mean, yeah, this is a live version, but the, the studio version is on uh, hi, it's, it's on it's on Wrecking Ball. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Whew. Sorry, I'm losing track of where everything goes in my head. It's cool, dude. I told you earlier that I was jealous. You got shingles. We're all messed up. I don't currently have shingles for those listening at home. Oh yeah, sorry. Like, that was a HIPAA violation. Wow. wow. Sorry, I'm not my doctor. It's fine. Well, you have mentioned it in podcasts before, so. Yeah, I don't. I, I had shingles like a year ago, so. Uh, Mad jealous of those shingles. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It got me out of some stuff. <laughs> it's not even what I was jealous of. Anyway, good. yeah, uh, American Land is great. This podcast has gotten dark. Uh, <laughs> But this is a great song. We love it. We've talked about all the versions. We're gonna talk about another one next week. But it's it's just like raucous. It's this is a nice way to end it. Yeah, you this know. is this is the correct way to end. If you're not gonna end with "We Shall Overcome," end with a live this version. This is a lot better, better than "Froggy Went Accordin" or "Buffalo Gals." It absolutely is. Last four songs or "We Shall Overcome," I think would have been an absolutely. Uh, maybe not bring them home. That should be. I think honestly, it's in a weird place now. It should be in the middle somewhere, and it should have been the original. Um, I think the whole thing just needs to be retracked. But yeah, I, and I I would I don't say that lightly. I realize that Bruce puts a lot of time and effort into tracking his albums, but it, it does feel like this one sort of just got slapped together. Let's make this one ten songs. No, let's make it twelve. It's good, good record. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you you cut out uh, Old Dan Tucker and you cut out Froggy Went Accord and Buffalo and instead. Up. Oh, Buffalo Gals on the bonus. So, like, let's say, let's say we're not even. So, then you in you put in like let let's say let's say we're trying to keep it down to like you said twelve tracks. Okay. So so and you you're working with the thirteen original. You cut out old Dan Tucker. You cut out Froggy Winter Corden. We've got to cut you two put more. Put in. That that takes us down to eleven, right? So that we can well, we got to put in. How can a poor man stand such times as these as Lynn Brigham Home and American Land? Oh, you're right. Okay, so then we got to cut out. I think Shenandoah. I think Shenandoah's got to go. Maybe. I mean, if you got to cut something. I don't know. John Henry. Not John Henry. Sorry, Jesse James. Yeah, I guess so. Even though I really like Jesse James. It feels, yeah, it feels good. I think it would have been cool. Yeah, I mean, you could have cut Jesse James out of this and then just included it on live. You know what? It can be 13 tracks. Yeah, why not? I mean, The Rising is 15 tracks. Yeah. All right, cool. We did it. We retracted. Cool. So, uh, Old Dan Tucker, Froggy Winter Gordon, Buffalo Gals, never to be heard from again. Gone. And we're slapping in. How can uh, poor man stand such times as these and live, bring him home, and American Lane? That's great. That's a Hall of Famer right there. Sounds good. All right. Well, I think we're done. That was pretty good. We, we covered a lot, a lot of ground in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah, we did a great job. I was worried. Um, we did do a great job. We're great at this. Yeah. We should we should have a podcast. <laughs> oh man! Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening, and and uh, you know we're gonna keep bringing it even even in times such as these. Um, yeah. How can how but, can a 
How can anyone not do a podcast in times like this? I don't know. Everybody's doing it. So the bonus episode over in the Patreon feed, we're going to talk about our favorite cover albums. Yeah. Albums recorded by artists performing songs not written by those artists. And I think we're I think Rob has some weird rules for how we're going to do it. I, I don't really. I, I I mean, really, that, that the rules are what I just stated, which is basically like the album has to be made up. The majority of the songs on the album have to be written and previously recorded by artists not cur- not not recording them in this present context. Cool. Does that make sense? They have to be they have to be covers. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what we're talking about. But I mean, you you got to ask that, like, but other than that, it's wide open, so it can be a compilation <laughs> right, album. Right, right. I know. It I'm just be, messing with you. But uh, also, like the question, like an album with like two covers on it, it doesn't count as a covers album. An album with a 10 track album with eight covers on it does count as a covers album. It has to be a majority covers album. Um, yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I've got some fun stuff to talk about. I'm sure we're gonna you do, do it. Too. We're going to do it like a sudden death lightning round, too. We're going to set a timer and we're going to we're going to go as fast as we can. Boom, boom, boom. We've never um, done that. Oh, speaking of covers. I read this headline today, and I, I just thought everybody here would enjoy it. We talk about Sunday Pilots on here a bunch. They're going to play Core. They're going to rip through Core in its entirety in a live stream concert. And as you're thinking about who's going to sing, well, uh, X-Factor alum Jeff Gutt. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Is that going to be good? I'm gonna, I mean, the Leo brothers are playing. They're not bad. They're incredible. Is Jeff Gutt going to be able to be Scott Weiland? Dude, sounds like he's got a big diaphragm to sing from, you know? In that good. <laughs> you know, he's better right. than me. You shouldn't make fun of him. If you could pick anybody, any singer alive, to perform that album, who would it be? Well, I mean, this is a sad answer, but he that guy's dead, too. Who, Chris Cornell? No, well, that'd be dope. But Chester from Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park. He was great at singing those songs. They both had just such insanely unique voices that you needed somebody who could just access that weird extra, you know, gear. Yeah. I'm trying to think of who I like, because my other answer would have been Kurt Cobain, who is also dead. Like yeah. the, like all, all the musicians I can think of who would have done an interesting job at that. I mean, part of me is like Eddie Vedder just because he is of that. But I mean, and I'm sure Eddie Vedder would. No, I, I feel like Eddie Vedder and the DeLeos like just don't have anything to talk about. <laughs> Maybe. The three of them know. could sit in a room for two days and not say a word to each other, I think. I um, would. I got to tell you, man, if I could go back in time and get Chris Cornell to perform that whole album top to bottom, I would pay I would pay a million dollars for that. I don't have a million dollars, but I'd, I'd find it. Uh, what about. Um, Axl Rose, but like old Axl Rose. I heard Axl Rose is going to start touring with ACDC. <laughs> to to because uh, apparently Angus Young doesn't want to work with Brian Johnson anymore. So I'm, I'm not going to go see those shows. I probably won't either. I won't go see that for free. I would see Angus Young. That would be pretty sweet. I guess. I mean, that's a. I mean, he's a he's a living he's, legend. But doesn't he still wear like the schoolboy outfit? Of course he does. How are you supposed to know it's Angus Young? So kind of ridiculous, but does he still wear the schoolboy outfit? I'm over that. (laughs) Well then, sir, you need to be thunderstruck. Thunderstruck! Thunderstruck! 
so anyway, yeah, check us out in the bonus episode. We're going to be talking about our favorite cover albums. Yeah. Uh, that, we got, that I got a weird we list. I got a good weird list. I'm excited about it, man. Let's do this. Let's ju- let's jump over. I don't even want to be on this feed anymore. Let's go talk about covers albums. All right, let's go. To, let's get out of here. To the patrons, we'll see y'all in the private room. And to the non-patrons, we'll see y'all next week. We're going to talk about live in Dublin. So, just talked about how like we like socialism and exclusivity is stupid, and we're like, all right, anyway. <laughs> hey, we live in the world we live in. You know. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Well, we love you all. Uh, holler at us. Tell us what you think about this record. I know it's really special to a bunch of you. And join us in the Patreon feed, um, patreoncom scene. If you don't know about it, it's all there. And oh. uh, we'll we'll see you soon. One more word. If I I just wanted a quick disclaimer. If you're sitting there and you're thinking like, wait, they didn't cover Live in New York and they didn't cover Hammersmith Odeon. I'm going to fire off an email and complain about it. Feel free to not do that. That is your disclaimer. We will not reply to it. We don't care. We're doing the stuff we want to do. Thanks for listening. If you're a patron, you can look on the Slack channel. You've earned the right to complain in, in person to us. If not, then uh, we'll see you next week when we're talking You've about Live right. Jeez. I became like hyper capitalist at the end. <laughs> President of the HOA. Yeah. Jeez. All yeah, right. Anyway, this I'm has gotten weird. Salty. This has gotten weird. We love all of our all of you who are listening, all you fellow Bruce Springsteen fans out there. And yeah, I'm talking about you too, Jesse Jackson. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll Jesse we'll see you. Huh? Have we not mis- mentioned? I feel like if we don't mention Jess- Jesse Jackson. It's not a real episode. I don't so think glad- we mentioned him this entire episode. <laughs> That's glad- why I did that. I'm glad-, glad you threw it out there. I'm glad you made sure to to mention it. Yeah. Well, if you mention Jesse Jackson, he'll tweet at you, and then one million other people tweet at you. So you know, it's good. Good for the business. Good for the brand. And good I for like- my personal my personal friendship with Jesse Jackson. Every time you mention Jesse Jackson, a new Bruce Springsteen podcaster gets his wings. <laughs> That's so true. Uh, Alright, cool. So we'll see you in the Patreon feed, everybody. This nonsense is over. Alright, thanks everybody. Motion to adjourn. Bye.